test. Oh, that's much better. <clears throat> it was on my ears, not my nose. That was focused <laughs> real well on that. <laughs> the outtakes are going to be beautiful. <laughs> Dude, it's always like right before you start something that you've been thinking about for a couple of days. You're like, all right, I'm going on a show. Grab the headphones. <laughs> so... Welcome to the Tragedy Academy, a show created to bridge societal divides in a judgment-free zone using candor and humor. My name is Jay, and today I am joined by professional skydiver Mike Tallarico. How are you doing, Mike? Good. Thanks for having me. You raised an eyebrow at professional, but I imagine there are probably some titles and different things that qualify you as professional. Is that kind of why the eyebrow went up? Yeah, I don't get paid for it, so. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's a good point. So yeah. then it would be uh, more of a hobby yeah. or what's the word that you would use for that outside of hobby? I think hobby is, uh, seems it doesn't seem like lifestyle. it gives it enough credit. Yeah. <clears throat> I feel like hobby doesn't describe flying out of a plane. <laughs> <laughs> hobby is like Legos, models. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> plummeting to my death. Well, that's that's not really the oh the well goal. yeah I guess that's that that's that <laughs> joke you know you you only you can what skydive without a parachute once right or something like that it's <laughs> not the fall it's the sudden stop at the end no thank you those jokes have got to suck too or do you guys is that a regular thing it's yeah a lot of times I mean you know obviously if somebody close to you dies uh, it's it's not um, it's yeah a, no you don't do that you know and out of respect that kind of thing but I. I can only imagine when the stakes are upped in the overall adventure, kind of like the military, dark humor kind of reigns. Yeah, yeah. Our um, one of the drop zones where I, the one where I started skydiving, they had they bought a hearse, and when we would jump into demos, you know, you know, public shows, they would pick us up in the hearse from the demo, and it said, "In this is." Uh, pretty fucking dark. <laughs> it said blue skies, black death on the side of it, which is actually a term that's used a lot when somebody dies in skydiving. Oh, is that, that's an actual, they say blue skies, black death. Yep. Or you'll see, you know, uh, if it's posted somewhere, you'll see BSBD. Didn't know that. <laughs> that's not an acronym that I wanted to know. <laughs> necessarily. No. Um, so, why don't we uh, let you familiarize yourself with everybody? Tell us who you are, what, um, you know, what qualifies you as a skydiver, how many jumps you have, you know. Um, I know that you have some awards and some different things. You want to tell us about that? Sure. Um, so, so I just started skydiving back in, uh, well, in 1992. I was with some friends uh, at a 4th of July party. They said they were going skydiving the next day. I thought that would be cool to do. I asked if I could go. They said, yes, we continued to party till about four that morning, woke up about seven to go to the drop zone to do our class. I came really close to chickening out and I knew I'd regret it. So I forced myself to go. We spent the day in the class. We had a massive thunderstorm. Um, That's lightning, comforting. <laughs> lightning striking the trees in the landing area. So I thought, great, I'm, I'm going to get out of this. today. <laughs> you, thought, you thought you were going to get out of it without having to wimp out. I like this. I'm with you. Yeah, but it didn't work out that way. So we take a lunch break, come back, finish our class. Sky's clear. Everything's beautiful. And we do our jumps. So, but I've been jumping since 92. I've got about 2,900 jumps now. Jesus. Um, 
that's a lot of jumps. It, it is and it isn't. Um, you know, professional skydivers, uh, people who do tandems for a living or who instruct for a living or who compete for a living, uh, you'll see people with 10, 20, 30,000 skydives. That makes sense now that you frame it that way. If you've got a job a Monday through Friday where you're tandem jumping with people so many times a day, that's got to rack up real quick. Yeah, I mean, some of these tandem instructors are doing up to, you know, maybe 20 jumps a day. I mean, I guess after you've been doing it for a while, it doesn't seem like a big deal, I I guess. Uh, You know, I'm not a tandem instructor, but it's hard for them. That's hard work. That's a physical job. Uh, as opposed to me, if I want to do 20 jumps in a day, um, if I'm not packing for myself and I'm just meeting the plane, it's it's fairly easy. I've found that um, the most I've done in a day is 16. It was a training day with my team and uh, we did back to back. We had two parachutes and, you know, we'd land, drop them off with a packer, go meet the next plane. And we started eight o'clock in the morning by one o'clock in the afternoon, we had 16 jumps in and it was very easy. I believe that. It sounds like a lot of fun too. Um, The tandem piece makes sense that it would be more difficult because of the amount of weight. Wouldn't the weight alone cause a big difference in how you plummet to the earth? I mean, two people versus one has got to change the velocity quite a bit. It does, but if you've ever seen a video of a tandem skydive, there's kind of a big parachute yeah. floating above them. That's called a drogue. And that actually helps slow down their free fall uh, to the same speed that a single jumper would be doing. And then it also um, minimizes the opening force on the parachute. So keeps uh, kind of already a little bit open before it's open. It's not a snap and uh, gives you the ability to uh, maybe pull that versus the whole shoot? Is that how they kind of release that? Because I can imagine that's pretty difficult. That drogue there has to be the the mechanism that lets the, the parachute itself go, correct? It is. So they have a, a rip cord. That, that drogue is attached to a rip cord. And when they pull that, the drogue is your pilot chute that then pulls everything out of the container and allows the main parachute to open. Yeah, you brought a uh, a parachute with you here today. Um, we'll uh, send some pictures. We'll put them up on the internet. Um, I was actually kind of surprised at the size of it. It looks similar to, you know how um, now they have those sleek packs that you can get when you ride a motorcycle? Mm-hmm. Um, they've got like that, you know, polyurethane carbonate look over the back of it. Yep. That's kind of like what it looks like. Is that the typical size or they, uh, they range, you know, I mean, skydivers come in all shapes and sizes and so do parachute systems. So a tandem parachute is going to be probably four times the size of mine. I have a fairly sporty one. Um, you can, like I said, parachutes themselves, just the main canopy. You can buy everything from a bus to a Ferrari and mine's approaching the Ferrari, but not quite there. You know, there are guys flying much higher performance than I am, but um, to try and not get too technical, what's recommended is a one-to-one weight ratio. So meaning if you have a hundred square foot parachute, you should be a hundred pounds with all your gear on underneath it. That's the one-to-one. 
And then as people get more experience, they tend to downsize. And I've done that. And I'm flying a parachute at a, it's 107 square foot parachute. Yeah. You, that, that's got to be a ripper then for, for somebody your size. I mean, you're not big, big, but you're definitely not 107 pounds. No, with, with my gear on, um, I probably weigh about 220. Um, so 220 under 107 foot parachute. Um, I'm loaded wow. over two to one. Well, so you're wearing a, a funny shirt today. You want to tell everybody what it says? It says uh, weekend forecast skydiving with a chance of drinking. <laughs> that uh, that does sum up your uh, your lifestyle. I love that. <laughs> uh, the only reason why I brought that up is because on your shirt, there's a picture of a parachute that is drastically different than what we see in the skydiving community. And I feel like that is the old school uh, canopy look that uh, that they used to have. And whereas the ones now look almost like a hydrofoil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the old old ones, it was a round canopy, um, and you could kind of steer to see where you were going or where you were coming from, but mostly you're at the mercy of the wind. Kind of like that, uh, you remember the old soldiers with the strings and the plastic, and yep. you just threw it up in the <laughs> That's pretty much what it was. <laughs> that's, that's about the amount of control it has. That poor dude, man, he never hit the ground, right? Well... <laughs> I I have one round parachute descent with zero round parachute landings. <laughs> what, what? Oh, hold on a minute. So so actually, everybody, we are currently at about fifteen thousand feet. He has not come down yet. <laughs> Explain this. How do you do this? It, it wasn't a, a. I shouldn't have been in the situation. I'll put it that way. I was a fairly new jumper jumping in a new drop zone with a, uh, an instructor who since has lost all of his ratings. Uh, this was years ago, back in the early 90s. So I get on a jump with a bunch of guys. It's above my skill level. I question that. My uh, instructor said, you'll be fine. And then the weather conditions weren't ideal for me to be jumping in at my skill level either. And I questioned that. And my instructor said, you'll be fine. So... <laughs> And I had some gear. I had bought gear. It was a used system. And I didn't know how to use. There's an AAD. It automatically opens your reserve for you if you're still in free fall below a certain altitude. Didn't really know how to use that properly. Turned it off. Turned it back on in the plane. During the skydive, lose my altitude awareness. And uh, one of the guys gives me the signal to pull my parachute. So I pull. And just as my main finishes inflating, my reserve fires from this. From oh this no! So both of I them did. opened up at once. Well, the as the first one was opening, the second one started coming out. So, and my reserve at the time was a round parachute. So, I cut away my main, and uh, I'm now under my round reserve, which I didn't know anything about how to fly that either. And um, so. That's a mercy shoot, I feel like. It's, you're at the mercy of that fucker. You're like a hot air balloon. <laughs> well, it, it really is. I mean, it was the the lifesaver. Well, in that case, it could have killed me, but normally they're your lifesaver. Um, so now I look down and the drop zone is on the other side of the river from me and I'm over a town. And as I'm coming, the winds are blowing about 30 miles an hour 
And I land in power lines. Whoa, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, actually hanging from them, like the same thing that my plastic soldier did with the, <laughs> the handkerchief. Exactly. Oh, so, my God, how are you alive? So, um, I was pretty lucky. My I came underneath the lines, but my parachute wrapped over the top of them, and it pulled them together, and there was a big blue arc. And But they were the lines going from the road to somebody's house. And so I was only about a foot off the ground at that point. Thank God. And um, so I just undid all of my my leg straps. I loosened them up. I undid my chest strap and I kind of forward somersaulted out of my gear. And uh, I'm mildly disappointed that there wasn't some kind of slingshot scenario <laughs> when you were trying to unclip it where, <laughs> where you flipped. Well, once I was out of it, though, <laughs> the wind caught it and it oh, reinflated no. and my gear took off and I had to chase it. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's nothing worse than chasing something in the wind so this is the first time i had jumped at this drop zone so i went back with you know they picked me up i went back with my tail between my legs bought a case of beer and handed it to them because kind of a case of beer is what you do for anything skydiving related if you do something new for the first time or if you fuck up <laughs> so i dropped off my case of beer and and i left and several years later, I'm, I'm jumping at another drop zone, maybe 15 minutes down the road from that one. They were kind of rival drop zones. And I've been, that was my home drop zone now. And I'm telling this story to all my friends who I've been jumping with for a couple of years. And my friend Scott looks at me, he goes, that was you. <laughs> I said, I've never seen a round parachute go so fast. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a weather balloon. <laughs> So yeah, that's, that's how sucks. I have a parachute descent without a parachute landing. That is amazing. And <laughs> something that you don't want to be off by on a unit of measurement when jumping is zip codes. <laughs> <laughs> if a zip code changes between you and your drop zone, you're fucked. <laughs> I can see how that would be a big issue. Yeah. So aside from never landing, you have, um, you do a lot of, or you have done a lot of those competition style dives where you're with other people all joined together. Can you mm -hmm. explain what type of skydiving that is and um, what you've done with it? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different disciplines in skydiving. The one that I prefer is four-way. So it's a team of Five people. Excuse me. This is not <laughs> that kind of podcast, sir. You did tell me to take off my pants before we came in the yeah, studio. Yeah, we, we like to do all episodes like Porky Pig. It keeps everybody in their chairs. They don't storm out fast when you don't have pants on. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a, a team made up of five people. Um, whoa, 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 hold on. Did you set up a, a four-way made up of five people. Yeah. Here, we're starting off great. <laughs> It always comes to some sort of, it makes sense in the end. Uh, so there are four people on the team doing the formations and you need to be able to document it. So you have a camera guy who is actually part of the team. Oh yeah, that would suck. I promise we were all joining hands. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody there to, to right. take a picture. You can't prove that it happened. Right. So you have your camera person and they will, they'll exit the plane at the same time as you. And they fly above the formation and they videotape from above. And then when you land from your competition jump, they go to the judges' stations, they upload their videos, and then the judges use that to, to judge your dive. And so, so it's a four-way competition. Again, that's my preferred one. There's a lot of other ones. And so there's a, a dive pool. There are 22 what we call random formations in this dive pool. 
And that's just a static formation of four people joining in a specific way. And then there are 22 blocks. And a block is a formation that you build and then it can break into any number of pieces between, you know, two and two or four individuals. You do a move and then it rebuilds. It can rebuild to the same thing or it may rebuild to a different thing, but that's, there's 22 of those. And that's your dive pool. Uh, so then for a competition, there's a random draw from that pool and there's 10 jumps in a competition. Oh, so you're, okay. So if I'm to make sure that I understand correctly, it seems similar to kind of like a diving competition when you're in the Olympics and they have certain degrees of dives and difficulty and that require certain things, but they pretty much all have a set one that, that they can choose from in that list or whatever that they're capable of. Mm -hmm. And for you guys, you're getting like a round, you know, or just like reaching your hand in the bag and pulling it out. And I've got a foursome with three pinwheels and, <laughs> and a porky pig. Yeah, sort of like that. Although, you know, everybody in the competition gets the same draw. So they draw for the whole group. Oh, it's not like one person's doing a uh, jackknife and the other one's doing a uh, butterfly. <laughs> no. oh, okay, yeah. so I thought I thought there was like some yeah. uh, Dancing with the Stars going on here. Like we're bringing out <laughs> yeah. sparklers, we've got pinwheels, and we're gonna. Okay, I'm yeah. I'm on track and, now. And so then each, depending on what division you're jumping in, there can be different numbers of points in a dive. Right. So each time you build a formation, that's a point. If you're at a novice level, I think it's three points in a sequence. And then you go through those three sequence, you go through that sequence as many times as you can within 35 seconds. So the minute the first person lets go of the plane, the clock starts and they go for 35 seconds. They count how many times you've built your formations in 35 seconds. If you're in open class or advanced class, there can be up to six formations or points in a skydive. And, but whichever you, you know, whichever class you're in, you do your sequence as many times as you can in 35 seconds. So within those classes, are the classes competing separately or is this like a handicap scenario that way a novice could compete against somebody that was more advanced no. or is this simply just different tiers of competition? Yeah. Everybody's just competing with the people in their I, own class. I feel like I would be at that airplane that's outside of uh, Walgreens with the quarter insert and <laughs> it just kind of moves in one spot. <laughs> Change your formation. <laughs> that way would save you a whole lot of money. <laughs> the equipment is much less expensive. I do like the that. idea of me jumping out of that thing, though, with a pack on my back, just letting people stand there. <laughs> That's a bit. We're going to work on that. <laughs> Jonah, camera, get that stuff together. I'll let you borrow my gear. Just don't wreck it. No, I'm not, I would never touch somebody else's parachute. I'll let you use it for that. Uh, nope. Not touching it because <laughs> the next jump is not going to be the one. <laughs> Hell no. I don't want to touch somebody else's shoot. They used to say in the army all the time, they're like, you don't want a Monday or a Friday shoot. Mm -hmm. Now, with regards to skydiving, not the military form, you guys have people that pack your shoots and you also pack your own, correct? Yeah. It's mostly a personal preference. Technically, according to the FAA, a uh, parachute needs to be packed either by the person jumping it or an FAA certified rigger. 
most drop zones have packers. You can pay them if you don't want to pack for yourself and, and they'll do it. And there's, as long as there's an FAA rigor on the property, I think that's kind of the loophole for that. I don't know, to be honest, but I prefer to pack my own uh, because I like to inspect it and see when it's time for maintenance or a closing loop needs to be changed or, you know, something like that, or something's wearing that I want to have replaced. And some, some packers are good about doing that and letting you know, others don't pay attention to that. Yeah. I don't want that packer. Yeah. The only time I really use a packer is when, like I said, when we're training days where we're doing back to back jumps and we're trying to get a bunch in a day, then, you know, we'll, we'll use packers. But other than that, it's a lot of trust. Yeah. Well, the thing is the equipment has come so far over the years that they want to open. They really do. People like they've tried to make videos of malfunctions, but they really had to try hard to force these things to malfunction to make these videos that they use for training. Right. I would say, I think that one of the terms that uh, they used to, I used to hear a lot was that uh, it would become a cigarette and that that seems to happen more in a static line scenario than you would see with a professional skydiver. Um, And you also mentioned as far as like safety equipment, you said there's an automatic deployment at a certain height. When did that come around? Because they don't they don't advertise that on the uh, billboards when they tell you to go skydiving that there's an there's actually like an airbag at the end. <laughs> that that actually calms me down a minute because I'm like if I pass out up here, I'm just gonna pounce. <laughs> well, they've had those for years. I think the one that I had that I didn't know how to use when I was new, it was a very old design. Um, not a highly accurate one. It had a large uh, range of error. <laughs> so, but but the newer, better ones, I think, I don't remember exactly, but somewhere around the 90s or it might have been a little before then is where they really started coming out with the really good ones mm-hmm. that um, the technology was far superior. They're electronic. They measure your speed, the barometric pressure. There's all kinds of things. It's an it's altimeter doing. built into it. The triggers it sort not, not an altimeter. It's it's I I believe it's more barometric pressure and your speed. But anyway, um I'm not an expert on them, but I do know how to use the ones I have now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good thing. You yeah. want to you want to make sure you understand that that particular piece of equipment. That's your last yeah. resort. Yeah. And so they're very small. They fit inside your parachute. Basically what they do is if you are still falling at a certain rate below a certain altitude, it cuts the reserve closing loop, the the little loop that holds your reserve all oh, together. Okay. It cuts that, which then allows the spring-loaded pilot chute or, you know, whatever your system is to pull the reserve out of the container. So that's where you get the yeah. uh, the old dangling person from the parachute that you see the classic where they're passed out. And it's just kind of dangling <laughs> down. That's, that's the uh, the situation that we're describing, obviously, because uh, you, you want this thing to... This is an automatic deployment. You're not right. hanging around waiting for this one. Right. Well, it, it's really... It, it shouldn't be even thought of. Like, I don't go on a skydive and think, well, I've got that, so I don't have to worry about pulling. The idea is that you do everything you can to save your own life, and that's there if you failed at all of the other attempts and or if you just didn't pull. I mean, prior to these things being invented, people would die because they never pulled. They lost altitude awareness. Or it's also, let's say you hit your head 
in coming out of the coming coming out out of the plane plane or you have a collision with somebody else in the air and you're unconscious, it'll open for you in that, uh, you know, in those situations. But I don't like to think of that as something that I'm relying on. I'm relying on me and that's there in case I can't do it. It's kind of like um, the e-brake in a car. You don't necessarily pay attention to it. Yeah. You know it's there and, if, you know, all hell breaks loose. It is something you can mash or it'll happen. But yeah. I can't say I've ever gotten in my car and given that a quick kick yeah. before I started off anywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So you described your first jump and I... Did not jump at all, but I was air assault. And those first situations are the ones where you're trying to overcome that amount of self-preservation to do that first one. And much like yourself, I had uh, kind of an experience right as it was getting ready to happen. I'm sitting there at air assault school, and that's where you uh, rappel out of helicopters, right? Mm -hmm. And we're up in the 10th Mountain Division, upstate New York, where you're, you know, you're up from, you're from up there. And... We're at the school. They come in, you know, they've got Blackhawks and the instructors are going to be the first ones to go up. You know, we've already done all the rappelling off of towers and all of the uh, BS with equipment and all that kind of stuff. And now we're there. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, it's time. And they take the Blackhawks up. And, you know, the instructors always have to take it like way over the top. And, you know, the different theatrics of the, you know, like one, one's coming out commando rappelling. <laughs> the other one's like, you know, doing some other bizarre thing. And then, one comes out and he doesn't slow down <laughs> and and he bounces and we're all just standing there looking at it like what the just happened like this dude just bounced they're like <laughs> they bring the helicopter down the ambulance comes picks him up takes him away and they're like well this is a this is a good opportunity to teach you guys about inspecting equipment the rope that was coming out of the actual helicopter that he was rappelling on was apparently like a quarter inch in diameter smaller than normal. So his, he couldn't break, which that terrified me to think that there was a quarter inch in diameter <laughs> between me becoming like a lawn dart. <laughs> Because there is no parachute. You just come zipping down this thing. And he did not slow down. Like, he legit bounced. Yeah. And I remember they took the they took it back up there. Like, well, these ropes are all good on this one. Everybody line up. We're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you you know the risks, right? I mean, you you may be uh, were less voluntary than me. <laughs> I mean, Instead I do military, this for fun. shit about the risks. <laughs> do shit because you don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> right. I feel like the pride gets you through a lot of those stupid situations <laughs> because there's no other reason. No damn good reason to go hanging out of a fucking helicopter. <laughs> no reason at all. But that's what we do to entertain ourselves as humans. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, I, I go into this knowing the risks. I have the choice. I can do it. I don't have to, you know, the military's not making me do it. Nobody's paying me to do it. So I accept those risks. I do everything I can to minimize them. And, you know, equipment is safer than ever. And I check my equipment regularly and uh, I pay attention to safety. It's a calculated risk at that yeah. point. You understand what you have. That doesn't mean something can't still happen. I mean, I'm, 
none of us are bulletproof. Well, right, even but... Fabio hits a goose on a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that. <laughs> You've never seen that picture? No. Oh my God. It was like, I think it was the nineties. Fabio, beautiful Fabio in hair. You know, he looks like he's out of every mom's or, you know, romance novel. They have a picture of him. He was on a roller coaster and that's he took a fucking goose to the face. <laughs> Some shit like that. It's like exploded, man. Like you can't be the world's most handsome man at the time. I remember that was like the description, Fabio. Yeah. You know, you wanted to look like Fabio. Not really. <laughs> look like Fabio. Yeah. But yeah, he took a took a goose to the face. Um, I could imagine coming out of a plane. Have have there been any weird things that you've seen skydiving? I mean, that's twenty nine hundred. Skydives, you've had to see some wild shit in the air. I'm trying to think. Um, you know, like, I've seen some videos of some pretty neat stuff. I used to, when I lived up in New York, friends of mine would go on skydiving vacations, either to Arizona or we'd come down to Florida. And uh, we used to jump at Titusville. And I remember there was a video there. There were guys who were free flying. So flying, you know, upside down, kind of head down in in free fall. And there was an eagle head down flying right next to them in this video. That's badass. Yeah. Um, Or you would see they, they jump when the, when the shuttle was launched. You quit, right? Like after you've skydived (laughs) next to an eagle, you have to quit. You can't skydive anymore. You can't recreate that experience. Yeah. Once you've done that, it's over. Yeah, that's pretty cool stuff. Um, You know, I haven't had that experience, but I did do something pretty interesting. Uh, A friend of mine and I were going to be the last two people out of the plane, and we talked to the pilot about this, and I won't say where it was or who the pilot was or the tail number just in case. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No poly, no waiver, no statement. We want a lawyer. (laughs) We decided that uh, we wanted to be in free fall with the airplane. So... We climbed out on the side of the plane, uh, just, you know, on the side of the, out the door, but hanging on. And the pilot said, when you feel zero G's, let go. So we let go and we went and he went a little further and then he nosed it down and turned. So we were kind of in free fall looking in the cockpit window at him as he was flying the plane completely nosed down. That's bad ass. That is a really cool visual. And no pictures, though, because you can't, well, you didn't want to get a tail number, so and that, you didn't have was, a camera person. No, we didn't have a camera person, and that's before the days where everybody had GoPros and stuff like that. Yeah, I saw something, um, because you, you wonder, how do you get such good um, videography and photography in these scenarios? Because a GoPro is not going to do it all. But I did do some research, and I was like, holy crap, they use, like, mouth depressing things to fucking make the camera work. I don't even know yeah. how to describe it. Like so, maybe it's like uh Christopher Reeves wheelchair, you yeah, know, where it's like a, the straw thing where you like blow on it or click it or have those. Yeah. So I, I used to do tandem videos and I had a, a helmet rigged up and um, they have a bite switch, a blow switch. Like you had. Sure. He said blow. All right. Uh, Sorry about that, guys. And there's also one you push with your tongue. So that that one activates the stills. And then, you know, you just, you would have a a way to activate your video camera before you exit the plane. So that's super fascinating. The videos and the pictures are always 
borderline dizzy for me when I watch him. I get a little bit like, ugh. but I want to kind of switch gears for a moment and ask you a question. Mm-hmm. There's approximately what 60 seconds on average in a jump where you're free falling. Is that probably correct? If if you're leaving the plane at 13,500 feet, which is the average for any drop zones that fly twin otters, which is kind of a bigger, one of the bigger skydiving airplanes. That's one of those um, planes that look like the ones in um, the rescue rangers. I don't know. You don't remember the Rescue Rangers? No. With Chippendale? Okay. (laughs) I was always a Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes guy, and I never really veered from that. Okay. You're you're a Wonder Bread kid. But Um, but yeah, so at a drop zone that takes you to 13,500 feet, you're going to free fall, depending on your your, uh, discipline as well. If you're belly to earth in free fall, then you're going to free fall for 60 to 70 seconds, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're free flying, meaning standing up and free fall, head down or sitting, the, the free fall time is fat or your speed is you're more aerodynamic. So, so you'll have less free fall time. Excellent. Okay. But that's 60 seconds. I'm trying to understand if I haven't done this, that is a moment that I imagine would be completely mindful and that it is a moment where you're not thinking about other things except for that actual experience. Mm -hmm. Humans don't get that many times in their life, if not ever. Mm -hmm. 60 seconds is an extremely long time for a mindful moment. And a lot of people change their entire life's direction after coming out of a plane. Mm -hmm. What is that 60 seconds to you? What have you found out about yourself in those 60 seconds that made you want to continue to do it? I don't know that I learned anything about myself. No, (laughs) uh, you don't think? I'm not a highly introspective person. Uh, (laughs) Me like jump. (laughs) Me like jump. Mm, Jump again. (laughs) Jump. Me do more. (laughs) But, uh, But you're right. I mean... If you, if you do have other things going on in your life, you're not thinking about them during that free fall time. You're, you're thinking about the dive, you know, if it's, if it's a competition jump or if you, even if it's a fun jump where there's a plan on doing something in the air, that's what you're paying attention to. And you're, then you're paying attention to opening your parachute and landing safely. If you're just doing a solo jump, then like I've just done some jumps by myself where I get out and you're just looking around going, this is awesome. You're not confined by anything. I mean, you're not in a plane having to look through a window. You're out in the air and you've got this great view all around you. And it's just, I kind of appreciate the beauty of it and the the coolness of what I'm actually doing. You know, you brought that up. The way that you explained that, looking down at the beauty of it, there was a documentary, a docu-series that was on Netflix or it's still on Netflix. Um, called One Strange Rock. And it is a docuseries on the earth, nature, its entire, you know, climate, everything about it. But it's told from the perspective of astronauts from the space station. 
And the way that I understood it, and I could be jacking this up. If anybody listens, just go ahead and uh, tell me I was completely wrong and just give me the right answer when you do it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, for for lack of better uh, words, it's more like a spiritual awakening of some sort where the phenomenon is that once you can look backwards onto the earth and see it as something different than just an individual, but you see it from a much larger perspective and you see how small humans actually are compared to their surroundings. I'm just wondering if maybe that doesn't kind of happen somewhat for when somebody gets that view of the earth from such a far distance. You know, I think everybody kind of interprets that differently, you know, and, and some people have very profound experiences and, you know, there's a, in, in our, we have a skydiving magazine that's put out by uh, the United States Parachute Association to all the members. And there's an article in that called how skydiving changed my life. And in some cases it's from that experience of free fall. In other cases, it's just from the people that you meet and the places that it takes you. So, yeah, I mean, I think people just experience that differently based on, you know, there's there's a great program out there where they take military vets with PTSD and they, they take them on skydives because a lot of times, you know, some of the military people, they don't really have that excitement in their lives anymore. They're kind of looking for that. Others just need some other outlet to get their mm-hmm. mind off, you know, whatever it is. And I don't want to come across as an expert on that. I'm, I'm no, not, no, 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 no. I mean, but I, I, I couldn't even imagine what, um, what the mechanics are behind a program like that. However, I do like that, um, that there's many different ways that they're utilizing skydiving to help others yeah. traverse different situations. You know, one of the things that um, just dawned on me is skydiving falls in a bucket of those life-changing moments where people treat it as a decision in which they're no longer going to go with the flow. It's kind of like a tattoo. When you get a tattoo, typically people do it in some kind of defiance of the status quo, and they mark it as a pivotal moment, and they begin doing things different. Feel like the skydive kind of falls in that bucket somewhat. I don't know. Some I mean, people do it as like a, I'm not for everybody, obviously, but I feel like there is a, a a sect of people in there that say, you know what, fuck this, I'm gonna go skydiving. Yeah, there maybe, but I mean, if you think about it now, with since tandems have been, you know, since they invented the tandem parachute and started doing tandems, I mean you're hard pressed to walk into any place and not find at least one or two people who did a skydive. So I think it's a lot more mainstream than it was. Um, Fair enough. Back when it kind of the, the advent of skydiving was guys coming back from Vietnam Mm -hmm. uh, who again, were still looking for some sort of thrill and they would buy used military, like surplus military gear and form their own, their own clubs. And that's kind of how it, Started. started. I believe it was Vietnam. Um, I don't think it went as far back as World War II, but <laughs> probably not. Um, they still had like a lot. I've seen those videos of the aircrafts and gliders and things like that. Mm-hmm. They didn't look, they look kind of suspect the entire time. Well, <laughs> of, the beginning of, of skydiving yeah. was all pretty suspect. <laughs> Wasn't it a French guy? Um, uh, somebody from France was the first one to uh, do a form of skydiving or jumped off of something with like a pyramid parachute or something? Uh, I think the 
pyramid parachute you're thinking of was a drawing by Da Vinci, I believe. But there was a guy in France who uh, invented the first, I, I believe it was the first wingsuit. So you've seen the people flying wingsuits or some people refer to them as squirrel suits. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, his was a much more crude design. He jumped off the Eiffel Tower and it, it, and it didn't work and he died. Oh, okay. So that poor so dude. That did. was, uh, I think that was the first wingsuit attempt. <laughs> Would you try a wingsuit? No, I, I mean, I, I, I almost did a bunch of years ago and I, it doesn't really interest me. Uh, the stuff that does is the guys, you know, well, and, and women that are flying in proximity down mountain faces, that looks cool as hell, but I'm, I have no desire to do that because the, I'd fuck it up. A hundred percent. I'd fuck it up. Well, your margin for error is very small doing that. And other than that, I mean, to me, it doesn't seem interesting enough to me. Now, a lot of people love it and it's got to be cool because you, I mean, the nice thing about it, we're not allowed to fly through clouds, but if there's broken clouds and you can kind of skirt around them, um, you're supposed to be a mile from from a cloud vertically. Makes sense. So you don't get smacked by a plane or whatever. Or other skydivers. But yeah, yeah but I mean, flying around in that sort of environment, you, you're falling much slower in a wingsuit than in free fall. So it's got to be cool kind of getting around those formation. Cloud Having that ability to manipulate yourself yeah. at a lower rate of speed throughout the air. Yeah, I, I could yeah. see how that would be kind yeah. of I mean, interesting. I've, I've skirted the edges of some clouds in free fall and it really is a, a cool visual. It just goes by quicker for me than a wingsuiter. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, I don't have any desire to strap wings to my ass and go flying across <laughs> anywhere. Just like I said, I would fuck it up. Like 100% chance that... I would uh, I would skip across Carlsbad Canyon, <laughs> whatever you know. The, they show you those pictures where somebody's jumping down into something that has no business being jumped into with a wingsuit. Yeah, like those caverns that go down in the earth. They have those where they jump in with wingsuits and shit. No, thank you. I don't know if I've seen them with wingsuits doing that. They, maybe they have, but I know I've seen people jump into them and open their parachute, like base jumping. Whole, yeah. And then land in the lake or or on the ground below. Is there a, a rank and file for jumping off of shit and flying through the air? Is it like skydivers look down on wingsuiters, wingsuiters look down on uh, it's like rollerblades versus, <laughs> versus I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, is there a rivalry? I mean, I think the stuff that I do, the belly stuff, is what I think most of the the newer generation of skydivers think is just for old people, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because you're not like on a snowboard flipping through the air, getting extra points. Yeah. Well, even the, even that has kind of fallen out of, not a lot of people do the, the sky surfing anymore. Yeah. It didn't seem like it was really much of anything anyway. Um, it was pretty neat though. I mean, if you watch. I feel like I would rip that... my hips off or something. <laughs> <to that. laughs> Yeah, I mean, there were some people who were extremely talented doing that. And you like to watch some of the stuff they could do on those boards in the air was impressive. It was, to, it's a wing. And to, to my, like my opinion is it, it was a very similar, it was just another form of free flying, right? I mean, you, it's a freestyle well, type. Free flying. Mm-hmm. What is free flying? Uh, that's, that's what they call like head down. Okay, so head not, up, no, because uh, you see people that do it without a parachute. 
I thought maybe you were describing that, like those no, knuckleheads no. that jump out with no shoot and then somebody gives them a shoot or something halfway down or some crap. Yeah, no, no, no. Free flying is just the style of what you're doing in free fall. And it's gotcha. You know, um, pretty much not belly flying. <laughs> not belly flying. <laughs> they, could, they could really come up with a better term for that. Now, the terms change all the time. I mean, oh, what I do, it used to be I called, just need something cooler sounding than yeah. belly flying. <laughs> well, I mean, I just say that because if I use the terms that we use, people... Oh, okay, really I got know, you. But like, so I'm I mean, just we ripping call on what you. I do, it used to be called relative work or RW. Now they call it formation skydiving or FS. And, you know, there's acronyms for all the different, you know. Uh, so, yeah, every, there's different names for what we do. So... I saw that you had some awards. Which competitions or what kind of competitions have you won? Um, and where? Because you've, you've done, I almost said skydove. Can you <laughs> skydove? <laughs> <laughs> is that a word? <laughs> it is now. That it is used. now. <laughs> you've just coined it. Skydiving. <laughs> 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 so you've, but you've had the, um, You've been fortunate enough to travel around the world and dive in some really cool places. You want to tell us about a couple of those? Yeah, I mean, really, the uh, I scott I did a lot of skydiving in South Africa. I lived there for almost seven years. So the whole time I was there, I had a team, you know, that we would compete every year in South African nationals. And I've competed in two nationals in the U.S. One before I moved to South Africa back in 2010, and one uh, I think it was 2018. 2018 or 2019. I didn't win any medals in the U.S. nationals. My team did win a few medals uh, in in South Africa, uh, more in the intermediate mm -hmm. class. And then here, I've also competed in some tunnel, uh, some wind tunnel competitions. So that I've, looks like something that would be really fun. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a great training tool, but it's also fun just to get somebody to kind of get an idea of what free fall might feel like. Yeah, I, I feel like it, um, it would feel like standing in front of a giant commercial fan blowing in your face at Mach 1 and just strong enough where you can't run forward. <laughs> if that makes sense. Does that yeah. sound about right? <laughs> only, only vertically? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the the newer wind tunnels. I mean, all of them now. The the fans are up on top. Well, yeah, obviously you're not like running. That would be funny though. It would well, just suck you into one end of them. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't a good idea. Yeah, just a, a red spray shoots out the top. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> like, oh my god, dude. Well, I'm trying to think of what we haven't covered, but I guess. There's going to be people that are listening that have not had the chance to skydive, obviously. And if they're thinking about skydiving for the first time, is there anything that you would recommend to them that they do, you know, to research it or to get up the nerve mm -hmm. to do it, i.e. wind tunnels or something like that? I don't think the wind tunnel is really going to prepare you for the jump. It's okay. really only going to give you a rough idea of what free fall feels like. But there's nothing that's going to compare to getting to the door of the, an open door in an airplane in flight and jumping out of it, you know? So that, but my advice, if you're thinking about doing it, don't think about it too long. You'll talk yourself out of it. Uh, just if you want to do it, call a drop zone near you, 
make a make an appointment and just go do it. You can go tandem or you can go into the class and get your to work towards your license. I think the tandem is a great introduction. It gives you a rough idea of what it's going to be like and to see whether or not you're going to like it. But some people just decide, I want to jump on my own. I don't want to be attached to someone else. Then go do your, do an AFF course and, mm-hmm. uh, and just do it. Did you, did, you did, you did tandem though, right? No. Um, tandem was just kind of starting up when, when I started skydiving or it wasn't offered at the drop zone. I, I jumped at, it was fairly new and we were at a small Cessna drop zone. But um, the only thing back then was bungee jumping. I remember that. <laughs> that was a big thing. I remember when my, uh, my roommate in the army went to some podunk town in the middle of New York, somewhere upstate. And they had like this one lonely bungee jumping tower. <laughs> <laughs> and he went, I looked at that thing and I was like, I looked at the people there and I was like, nope. <laughs> That's like, I'm, I'm not going up on the tilt-a-whirl at the with the carny and the meth. Nope. Yeah. Not happening. Well, I, I talked a friend of mine into coming skydiving with me. And then he wanted us to go bungee jumping. And on the day of it, I backed out and I, I, I chickened out. I was like, I'm not going. That's not, no, it's not safe. You know how many videos I've seen where they've had like one too many bungees? <laughs> like, I don't want three extra rings of bungee rope to land on me after I'm on the concrete. Yeah. Or the ones that they dunk your head in the water. I think that's what they did there. There was like oh, yeah. some sad pool that was underneath this giant tower and they tried to make it just long enough so you dunk your head. Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> That's just seeing how close you can get to death. <laughs> like, I'm okay. You know, I don't need to be hung over the ground like a bully's loogie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm good, man. <laughs> All right. So go skydive. Don't be a bully's loogie. That's I, right. I appreciate uh, you, Mike, for, for coming in. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to, to tell everybody about? No, I, I think I was just going to finish answer, answering that last question. You know, you can go to look up a drop zone near you. You can get information on their websites about skydiving. A great tool is USPA.org. It's the United States Parachute Association. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. And and that that's the the association that kind of governs skydiving in the United States, aside from the FAA part where they they govern the uh, aircraft part of it, but the USPA governs teaching and licensing and all of that. And uh, they've got, that's a great resource for more information on skydiving and how to get started. I appreciate that. Um, We'll make sure that we put that in the show notes so everybody can find it. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you again, Mike. I appreciate you. I'll see you probably in 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for Um, inviting me. Yeah, no. And, and you're welcome back anytime. I would love to have uh, your, your other half Beth come in as well. Have her talk about what it's like to have a couple that skydives together. That'd be kind of cool. And I think Gary actually said that he's thinking about skydiving. So maybe, uh, maybe we come up with a show that's centered around uh, Gary flying out of a plane. All right. Um, not sure if I'll do it or not. I have to think about it a little bit. Is there anybody, uh, do you want to give uh, information about your local drop zone that you use? Uh, those guys, you, you're there all the time. Yeah. I mean, I jump at Skydive City and Zephyr Hills. It's a great drop zone. There's a lot of, you know, you can, there are people in most disciplines there. There's people organizing jumpers. Uh, 
it's a it's a great spot to come jump and hang out afterwards. They've got a nice bar there. They've got a a little snack. You know, they they do some lunches uh, and breakfasts during the day for special That's events. Cool. They'll do dinners. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a cool place. And if if you're thinking about skydiving, just come out there and watch for a day. You don't have to you don't have to jump. You can just watch and see what you think of it. That's a good way to look at it. I mean, honestly, I th- I think a lot of times that I've done things that I didn't think I should, it was gauged off of the face of the person that finished it before I did it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, look at them. Yeah. They just had fun. They liked it. I mean, you aside from the guy that freaks out, most people that you see coming down that last few feet before they hit the ground, they've got a grin from ear to ear on their face. Right. You don't see somebody frowning and skydiving. <laughs> Not many times. No. I used to, like I said, I used to do videos for tandems and I've seen some, I've seen everything from people who were so relaxed that you'd think, you know, they were just walking out of their house, much less jumping out of a plane to people that before you even got in the plane, you know, you're like, (laughs) you're kind of laughing on the inside thinking, wow, this, I don't know if this guy's going to go through with it. (laughs) Oh no. Have you had, um, you know how they have the, uh, the videos where the people pass out on the like slingshot at the local, whatever Mm. carnival eye drive thing. (laughs) Another thing that you won't catch me getting on, but you see the people that like pass out on it and they're like falling asleep and waking back up. (laughs) Do you have, have you seen somebody like pass out while they're in the air, then wake back up and (laughs) like, I can only imagine still being in the air after you pass out. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen it in the air. Uh, So all the ones that I videoed, they were awake the whole time. But I was on the ground one day when a guy, a tandem landed and his passenger, this guy was just limp, laying there, <laughs> completely unconscious in his harness. And once they landed, you know, people brought him some water and some shade. And uh, when he eventually it's came, expensive <laughs> nap. that's exactly what the video guy said. So when he came to the video guy looked at him and said, congratulations, you just paid, I forget how much for a nap. <laughs> But he did it. He did. He did it. He did the jump. Uh, he probably didn't write, you know, recall much of it. But no. Well, it's amazing <laughs> um, what the human body will do. It, yeah. Your body's going to do what it wants to do in these situations. As much as you think you're going to do something, when it comes time, fight or flight takes over, whatever it is, and you end up dangling off of some dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, we talked about the difficulty of being a tandem instructor. Oh, that's got to be. Well, that makes landings a little more difficult when your student is unconscious, but also... (laughs) Ride him like a surfboard. (laughs) (laughs) One guy did that and he lost his license. Oh, my God. (laughs) He was uh, stripped of all of his uh, skydiving licenses. I feel like like you promote that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he's a badass. If he's able to... it doesn't really body help the surf with an actual part. body in the air. <laughs> it doesn't bring uh, repeat business to your drop zone. <laughs> Somebody's got their cleat in your spine, yeah. riding you down from the sky like the Silver Surfer. Yeah, <laughs> this this was years ago, and I should mention it's not at my drop zone that I jumped. <laughs> uh, no, I used to have. Um, I had a first sergeant in the in the army that he, all about being airborne, and he used to tell us about how when he was at Bragg. 
you put enough guys together that are doing jumps over and over again, they're going to probably do some stupid shit eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to start pushing the envelope, see what somebody's going to do. And I guess they used to tie their static lines together. And then whoever was last out <laughs> or the first out had to fucking wait until the last guy came out before his shit got pulled. <laughs> I've never heard of that one. <laughs> some kind of fucking daisy chain. I don't know how much of that is true, but uh, I'm I'm not wanting to be that first dude out there just fucking flying at the earth, waiting to see if Cletus up there does his job correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Too many decisions. Oh, there, there are years and years of stupidity that have happened. Uh, back in older days, they used to have low pull contests. <laughs> They'd just face off back in and the day. Yeah, it, play chicken with the ground, basically. Uh, not good. Not a good idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dude, I, but why do we do this stuff as humans? Like, what is it? That we're not getting out of life that <laughs> requires us to fucking burn into the fucking earth at Mach 1 while staring at another guy, blood-eyeing it, going, I'm going to get to 75 feet. <laughs> no, I have no desire to do this. Yeah, me neither. I, I never tried that. I have no desire. No, uh, and I can't answer that question. I'd You'll- fuck it up. <laughs> it, would, it would be like a Looney Tune. It would be like, bam. Right. <laughs> that's that's how we end the show, man. We are the Looney Tune fucking parachute of, of podcasting. Hey, thanks again, Mike. I genuinely appreciate you coming in and uh you're welcome back anytime. Thanks. Well, I'll be back whenever you invite. Love it, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Oh yeah, remember everybody, be cool and keep learning. What's up, academics? This is Jay. I'm here to talk to you about Into the AM. This is a clothing and apparel company that I came across last year that has the absolute coolest designs. And the reason why I was attracted to it is because I grew up without a lot of money, like many others, and had to shop on that outlet rack with the irregular items. Things like the fly was over four inches to the left, or the right sleeve would be twice the size of the left. It looked like I was growing horizontally. Like, it's okay, honey, you'll grow into your left arm. So you really don't get a chance to express yourself the way that you want to. You go into life, you start putting on suits, you start putting on uniforms, and you realize you'd never had a chance to truly express yourself. Enter into the AM, a team of artists and creators who share a common vision. They see clothing as a canvas to express what drives you. Since 2012, They've developed premium apparel that elevates self-expression and provides unparalleled comfort for wherever your passions take you. Into the AM's passion for change is the driving force behind their brand. They remain committed to creating products that inspire and promote self-expression by partnering with like-minded organizations focused on giving back to communities in need. Last year, they donated 1% of all revenue from their graphic tees collection to the Art of Elysium charity. The Art of Elysium is an artist organization built on the idea that through service, art becomes a catalyst for social change. For over 24 years, the Art of Elysium has paired volunteer artists with communities to support individuals in the midst of difficult emotional life changes. They currently offer 110 community programs per month, serving over 30,000 individuals per year. The only permanent thing in life is change. Supporting charities dedicated to helping those going through these changes, trials, and tribulations require a never-ending commitment. 
The onus is on us as creators to affect change through our true, authentic talents. And Into the AM is the model of how this is done. Their clothes are handcrafted with care. They have a team of skilled artisans that craft each garment with the highest quality fabrics and eco-friendly inks. Not to mention, these things don't shrink, they don't fade, and they fit as if they were designed supernaturally. I'm stopped every time I wear one of the graphic tees to find out where I got it. The colors attract attention from miles, and the art is nothing short of spectacular, with designs for everyone. One of my personal favorites, Twilight Maiden. Go take a look. Into the AM does all of this while putting their money where their mouth is. 30-day money-back guarantee, lightning-fast shipping, and hassle-free returns. The deals are endless. Graphic tee bundles, discount promo codes. Get over there. Check it out. I'm highlighting the tees, but I'd be remiss to not mention that if you want to walk around in the absolute most comfortable shorts, joggers, and basic tees, hit up into the end. I even wear the basics to the gym. Head on over to the tragedyacademy.com Go to our sponsors tab and follow the affiliate link to the Into the AM store. Help support Into the AM and the Tragedy Academy by purchasing the absolute best apparel and the best designs ever. And remember, academics, be cool and keep learning.